Welcome to the Powercast with Charlie Johnson. I'm one of the world's leading fitness and transformation coaches. I'm going to be providing you with the tools to build your ultimate body and mind. So welcome to Powercast today. Absolute pleasure today to have uh, Shemi Walcott uh, on the podcast and videos where she's filming today. So um, this is a pretty awesome experience as like a lot of you guys probably don't know, skiing is actually one of my big passions and random fact I'm actually a qualified ski instructor and actually did a season in my youth uh, nearly 10 years ago which is when scary. you had less big upper body yeah we this is one of the conversations we had already <laughs> before uh we sat down to formally film this is that when you add like 10 15 kilos of muscle mass it's not necessarily ideal for skiing performance no brutal that's your stability yeah. tends to go well over the shot <laughs> yeah exactly um a bit top heavy so for anyone who doesn't know who Shemi is, if you give us a bit of an intro about yourself, a bit of your background. Um, I'm, I'm probably more known as someone who came back from career-threatening injuries in ski racing than anything I actually achieved in the sport. But I'm a four-time Winter Olympian. And since I retired, I help host Ski Sunday on BBC um, and the coverage of the Olympics. Um, I'm also a coach and a mentor. And most importantly, a mum of two little baby boys. That's awesome. And in terms of, obviously... What first got you into skiing and how did your journey start with that? Because obviously us being in the UK, it's not necessarily like we have huge mountains on our doorstep and plenty of snow. Yeah, yeah. How did that initially start for you? So I always say that I was made to be a skier. Um, my dad was a rugby player and my okay. mum was a swimmer. So I got his glutes and her legs. <laughs> so I'm a mountain person, the mountain goat. Um, but actually I, I'm the youngest of quite a big family. And by the time my eldest brother was born... He was super talented already. French ski school were like, right, you're going to be really good. My mum and dad weren't allowed to ski until they both retired. So as soon as they skied when they retired, they loved it. And they bought this tiny little place in um, Flen. And my brother, my eldest brother, was so good that he started racing. And by the time I was born, he was racing everywhere. So it was kind of, he was my idol growing up. And I hate saying this because my other brother, my my younger older brother was like, what about me? Didn't I inspire him? Like, yes, yes, in different ways. <laughs> but it was just it's kind of, I was brought up in that environment to, to love skiing, to love sport. I started when I was 18 months old, so it's pretty pretty That's young. Awesome. Um, bribed with penny sweets um, every single Did day. you, when you first went skiing, because my mum tells me this all the time, that when they first hit me skiing, I just cried and screamed because yeah. I hate the cold. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's a really hard first step to make into sport. Um, my son, Lockie, he's two and a half, and we do gymnastics all the time, but skiing, it's you know, it's so skillful and it's so foreign to them. I had him walk around the house with skis on and boots for like a few months before we went away skiing because I think it's just so much kit. It's yeah. cold. Kids hate gloves. They don't understand it's cold and then they're going to whinge more when they're holding the snow. Um, but I tell you what, if you get over that first hurdle, it's the most phenomenal family holiday. You know, now to be able to go up the lift with him and share my passion with him, with the other one in the backpack, it's just, it's just an epic family holiday. That for me to be honest with you is like my greatest childhood memories. I think I mentioned this earlier, like for me that's like the fondest memories I have is like going to to America, for example, skiing with my family in Vale and that for me it's my aspiration again at the end of this year is to take my wife and um my brother and his wife away to Colorado to go yeah. skiing and to almost like relive that experience. And I think Totally. Those um, experiences as a child are something your kids will never forget. They, st they stay with you. You know, now already, Lockie, the other day we, we saw a gondola um, and it was a year since he, he was last in the mountains. And he said to me, oh, mommy's lost her glasses up there. And literally a year ago, my glasses, he threw them off the chairlift and I made Dougie walk up the mountain to go and find them. And somehow he already had that recollection of how mommy found it really funny and daddy was a little bit cheesed off that he had to walk up the mountain. So... He's already knowing that, you know, the mountains are part of his life. I don't want him to be a ski racer, either of them. I think if I'd had a girl, I would say 100% I'd love to inspire her to be, 
you know do what I did but men's ski racing it's it's brutal you know there's there's speeds there's fatality there's egos that you need and you have to push yourself and risk a lot which is the same in women's but the track is easier um and so for those you know they're going to do what they want to do um but I just want him to love the mountains like we do that's very interesting I didn't I know it really does sound sexist it really does but um you know it's not saying that women's level is is easier to achieve than men it's just saying that the tracks you can push yourself on the female tracks and yeah you're going to risk injury you know i've got i've got a fused neck and a metal right leg but at the same time it's not life-threatening like in the men's in order to be that very very top you've got to risk everything and i would hate to be a ski mum i mean my poor mum you know spent all this money watching me race around the world never actually watched me ski she just watched like this and she says someone tell me when she's she's finished and safe and she'd never tell me to ski fast, my mum. She said, just ski safe. But I think that's an interesting thing in general with parenting. Like, it's human nature. They, they want to nurture and protect you. So whatever you're doing in life, they to achieve anything and be successful, you have to push yourself to your limits. And like, but they're natural. Like, your instincts as a mother to protect your yeah. children will be the same. You yeah. But I'm, then I would be a hypocrite, right? Yeah, exactly. Because all I did in my life was take push that risk and to push see what the limit. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I'm very much like that. I don't cotton wool him at all. He, he, he goes to his limits, he crashes over, he gets hurt and he knows that he has to rein it back. And I think that's really, really important because I see so many, when I mentor young children now, so many people, in fact, young, old, whatever, live in their comfort zone. We are, we are a society massively afraid to take risks. It's wrapping people in cotton yeah. wool. Yeah. No, one, no one wants to take risks because with risk comes either ultimate success or failure. And people are so scared of being seen as a failure that they won't bother taking the risk, so they live at 80%. And I, those are the people that I get because actually the biggest chunk of my career where I was healthy and injury-free, I had this massive fear of failure and letting people down. I had all these expectations on me because I was the best in Britain. Everyone knew I could make it. Um, sponsored, you know, family investment. I was a Clyde Woodward's prodigy and, and I went out there and I couldn't perform 100% because I was so scared that if I went 100% and, and still didn't win, I'd have to admit to everyone around me and myself that I wasn't good enough. So what I did was I, I skied 80% and it was it was okay. It was good enough to be the best in Britain and on a world scale it was all right, but it wasn't my best. It wasn't satisfying and it, it was brutal. Um, and then fortunately I put myself in a situation where I could take that risk to go all out and I won that running world cup and that for me is the kind of the start of really enjoying every part of my career and actually from then I got massively injured all the time because I took that risk yeah, and I crashed and, yeah but what, it was very satisfying what was the trigger point for you which suddenly allowed you to go from 80 to 100 percent because like I've had a similar thing in my life recently where I've left we talked about earlier from like a safety secure nine-to-five job yeah. to like go gung-ho and just yeah. do what you want to live life on your own terms like what was the trigger point for you that you were like I need to go full throttle for this. Like, like, is it perhaps like an age thing? We suddenly realise like the years are coming towards an end with a career, and you can see like I have this is a limited amount of time yeah. I have to push. Mine this. was one run actually. It was so so. It was in Solden, two thousand and eight, and I did the first run, and I made a mistake, and I came thirty first. And you only make a second run if you're top thirty. And I had this Glaswegian coach, and he was just fuming. We got in the car, we started driving crazy down the mountain, not talking to me. That's how I knew he was really upset because Glaswegians normally shout, and if they go silent, then you know they've, they're really fuming. I'm married to one, so I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> um, and uh, and then his phone rang, and I remember it was like the Ski Sunday tune, <laughs> and it rang. And was it, was, it a bit awkward when it rang? Yes, yeah. like this cut up the silence. 
and someone had been disqualified. One of the girls was her ski length was wrong. Um, so she was taken out. And so I was back in and he literally did a U-turn, ragged up the mountain. I didn't get to inspect the course. So in ski racing, every track is different and you spend an hour looking at the course so that you can kind of visualize it and then race it. And I remember I had to, I was going up the gondola on top of this race course, looking at the course from the gondola because I knew that when I got to the top, I had to race it, uh, which is the most unprofessional thing ever. So I got in that start gate and that's when I had, for the first time, absolutely no expectation. I was like, there's nothing good that can happen from this run. I'm just going to be free and charge. So I found the freedom to, to ski my best and that was what was my turning point. And I was like, you know what? Everyone around me didn't celebrate as much as me after that run because they all knew that I had what it took to win. But that was the run where I started to believe in myself. You almost stifled yourself with your own fear of... Yeah, and, and I had this horrible thing because everyone started talking about me choking in races because I was really fast in training. And people start saying, oh, she can't handle it. And, you know, they, they try and whisper it, but you hear that. Mm. And that's brutal as an athlete. You know, I was working everything I could to be the best, but I was blocked. And so people saying that I couldn't hack it oh, that, that cut me. And, and so that was the run where, you know, I can, I can do it. I can be the person that everyone else wants me to be. And I know that I can be that person now. So, in yeah. terms of, you obviously said you had a mental block, like in terms of obviously coaching, you were an elite level athlete. Did you ever see, seek out advice to try and like manage or cope with that or like a sports psychologist or anything like that? Curiosity? Yeah, lo loads. I saw loads of sports psych um, during my career. And I remember one saying to me, control the controllables. because I was really distracted by everything else going on. And he's like, you can't control how fast that girl skis. You can put everything into your performance and that is in your control. So that was really helpful for me. But actually, I really believe at the very top, in sport and life where it's kind of about marginal gains and fractions of a second that you've got to help yourself. You've got to get the tools from other people, but you've got to help yourself. There's not a manual to success. It's individual and and it's about kind of being honest with, with your fears and your strengths. I think it's being honest with yourself is the truest thing in terms of like mm. everything in life when it comes to your fitness, your business. Ultimately, if you have a coach or not, you're accountability is to yourself because ultimately it's you who has to do the work well, you know exactly. if you're cheating yourself yeah there's this imposter syndrome and I totally understand why it's so relevant to our society now because we all put out through social media who we think the world needs to watch and and what the world wants to see and and who who does the world want me to be and I remember quite early on in my life um my grand died when I was a kid and we were really close um but I remember when she passed away going you know what she never knew who I was. She she just knew the perfect little granddaughter, Shemi. And that was my moment where I was like, I need to be everything. I need to be black, white. I need to I need to be good, bad. I need to wear all my hats and show people everything. And actually, that was massive for me during my career because of my injuries. I think I showed that vulnerability straight away and people bought into the story more. I mean, I'm from London. No one no. understands what being a ski racer is. No. What, 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 what? But when I got injured... That's something that people understood. When my goals and I had hurdles to face, um, that's when people go, okay, right, I, I, I've had some struggles. I can see what she's going through. And it took a lot of time because, you know, I thought I'm a ski racer. I need to be hard as nails. I mustn't show emotion. And I remember I cried on, on the BBC, on the sofa just out there, after I'd broken my leg because they told me that UK Sport had withdrawn my funding. And I was so embarrassed that I cried. I was like, this is awful. And next day I got a Google alert every hour saying I'm on TV and it was me crying. And I thought this was, you know, the world needs to swallow me up. And actually what happened from that is a guy who ran this massive rehab centre saw it and went, I'm going to bring her back. So 
So there's nothing wrong with crying on TV. But Charlie, have you ever cried on TV? Not yet, but it's, it could happen. Give us keys somewhere else, fall over and it will Yeah, exactly. I think, I think it's <clears> really <throat> important. And that was a big turning point for me because I was like, no, no, I don't want people to see that I'm weak. I don't want people to see that I'm emotional. And actually, that's what people want to see. They want to see your struggles. They want to buy into your story. And I think it's one of those things like interesting. You said that show your weakness. Like the most engaged podcast I actually had was me talking about my own body dysmorphia and how yeah, exactly. that drives me to keep trying to improve myself, my fear of failure, my own fear of like imposter syndrome. And like yeah. I had an article on men's health last week and like things like that. And I still have that consciousness that I'm not good enough. So but that's, that's so important because you inspire other people mm. who you're working with who will all be going through that as well. Mm. So the fact that you're their inspiration and you know their body goal and you tell them that you're going through that, I think that's so important. I think that's where too many people we spoke about earlier like in terms of social media and things they put out there they put out these polished lies of mm. the world's perfect where in reality like everyone has problems and issues they have to deal with and Massively. I think that's why people brought into your journey so much you had such a horrific injury and it's amazing to see someone overcome an obstacle like that and that in itself is inspiring yeah and to come back from it and, and it was tough for me because the last time I came back from a big injury with this metal right leg I genuinely knew I wouldn't be able to win that I was in such a kind of um deficit with with my compensation and my in my body muscles I wouldn't be able to be fast on that right leg but still I was like I'm still going to go for this last Olympics even though I know I can't win because I want to show people that it's it's not about the, the medals it's about going out there and trying to be better and every day trying to improve yourself and that's a very strong message for me that I hope that I am able to translate to other people and you know put out there it's, it's okay to say you want to win and not win because it's about the, the, the methods, I don't want to say journey, yeah. but the, how how you're trying to push yourself to get there. It's that, for me, everything's about daily progression over yeah. time rather than yeah. winning medals or an end physique you want to look yeah. like. It's just about incrementally yeah. improving and enjoying what you're doing in the process. I mean, re recently I, I put, I did this transformation. Yeah. That's kind of how we got in touch. And I, I wanted to share it. And my friend who made the program for me said, oh, it's so good that you're willing to share that before shot. And she said, I work with all these celebrities and they don't want to show the before shot. And I'm like, yeah, but that's real. I just had a baby. I went straight back to work. I was eating sugar. That's part of the story. And if I don't show that, then what's the point in showing that after? Um, and she and I think, you know, a lot of people in the world who have the position to inspire people are scared because they don't want to put out an image of them not looking good. They don't want to show their weakness and their insecurity, yeah. like, which I think... In terms of but it's not, it's the confidence no. to have that. Yeah, it's the opposite, it's, it's the opposite effect. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like reverse psychology yeah. in that respect. Yeah. Like in terms of obviously when you initially had the injury, what did you have any anything that helped you specifically overcome that mentally? Because obviously a lot of people will be going through these things whether they're athletes or not. Mm. Is there anything you found initially? Like, I, was it like for you just like, you just flipped a switch, like I'm going to prove everyone wrong and come back? Twofold. I mean, the reason I decided to be a ski racer is because I'm, massively passionate and I love the mountains and I love skiing and I love being in a, a job or a role where I can push myself every day so any time that I was injured it was just right this the grass isn't greener if I retired now I would have to have real life I am able to go out there and do something that I love to do every day and actually that's why in the end I retired because my surgeon said to me look I let you do Sochi Olympics but if you break your leg now then they would have to amputate my leg from the knee down because I my bone is smashed up and I weight bear through metal now. And so that was a big wake up call because skiing, yes, ski racing used to be who I was, but skiing is in my heart. And so I want to ski until I'm 80. And it's my business now and my job was Ski Sunday and I wasn't willing to risk that. So I needed someone to take that away. 
you know, a, a retired athlete, it's really hard to make that decision. And I would kept skiing because I love it so much and I love to be a professional athlete. So him taking that away from me is what I needed. Do you think so, that almost set you free in some respects? Yeah, it did. It did. It did. Because I remember I raced that last Olympics and I remember Graham Bell being at the finish um, with the BBC mic going, so that was that's it. That's your retirement. And I loved it so much. I was like, no, I'm not going to retire. And everyone was expecting me to make this big announcement. I was like, no, 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 I'm going to keep going. And then actually two weeks later, I crashed again and saw the surgeon. He said this to me. So it was my end. Um, but, you know, I'm I'm driven by passion. I'm so fortunate to have found my passion in life. And I think we talked about that before. It's so many people live in this secure bubble where they aren't being their very best because they're scared to take that risk to be someone else that they know they could be happier. But would it work out? And I was really lucky early on to to go right. Skiing is everything to me. Who were the biggest influences you helped who helped support you on that journey to think to become to like leave your passions? Because yeah. a lot of people often find obviously you said in terms of your mother was afraid for you getting hurt. Like often it's the people closest to you that will hold you back. And I always had that in respect to what I do now that the people, not necessarily family, but some, a lot of my friends at the time didn't understand what I was doing and oh, why yeah. I was doing these things. They're like, oh, Charlie's changed. Why Why is he posting photos and stuff topless on the internet? Like who's he trying to be? And it takes a lot for, like that could have, like if I had listened to those yeah, people, it, crumbled, it would have like yeah. crushed my life and I'd still be stuck in a nine to five job which I didn't particularly like um yeah who were the biggest supporters for you do you think who really helped you on your career quite interestingly when I last broke my leg I remember it wasn't an intervention because that makes it sound quite aggressive <laughs> my family all came together and said we think this is it now Shemia we think you should move on because you're taking so much risk and in their defense every time I crashed you know I would have to go and live with them they'd have to help me with my rehab and um, it was really hard for them to see that but they didn't understand how much I loved it and how I couldn't see anything else in life. And um, so that's kind of a weird one because as much as they were supporting me, they wanted me to stop. They wanted me to not put myself in that position where I might get hurt again. But my, my parents were great. My mum my mum retired from swimming early and uh, through injury. So anytime I got injured, she was like, right, yeah, but you still love it. You still believe in this. So she, she'd learnt from her own lessons. You think she regretted retiring so early? Yeah, massively. Yeah. She regretted retiring because she was really, really good swimmer. Um, and she got offered a job during her injury rehab and just took it and rolled with it and the world changed for her. And I think that she'd always harboured what, what she, could she have done if she'd kept swimming. Um, but yeah, the whole family were, were amazing when I was younger. But I, I was obsessed. I was driven. At 10 years old, I said to my parents, so I local dry ski soap, Sandown Park, and this is before the internet because I'm that old. <laughs> there was this um, printout on the wall that said, do you love skiing? Are you a teenager? Do you want to ski in New Zealand in your summer holidays? And I was like, yes, yes, and yes. Actually, yes, yes, and no, because I was 10. And so I wrote the number down. I remember I wrote it on my hand, actually. And I came home and I climbed on the kitchen counter and I called this number and it was this guy in Scotland. I said, hey, um, I want to be on that camp. And he's like, right, tell me more about yourself. And I told him everything. He said, you sound, you sound, I hate to say it, but you sound quite young. And I was like, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I am young. It says you have to be a teenager. I'm 10, but I will apply myself more than everyone else. This is at 10 I did this. So I got all the information. He said, listen, I, obviously I need to speak to your parents. So then my, my parents came home and, uh, and I said to my mom that night at dinner, I was like, look, I found this program that I really want to do. I really want to go to New Zealand this summer for two months. And she said, right, well, you know, massive decision. You've got your brothers and mum and dad. We, we've got to look at this from a family point of view and the expenses of all of us going down there. And I said, no, you don't need to come. I'll go alone. 
And I did. I went. That's I went. Like Ten years old. Yeah. So there was a team of us. There were eight of us. Um, but I went down there when I was ten, and you know, I meet ten-year-olds now who don't know what they wanted to do, and I was like, I want to go to New Zealand, and I cried on the way home back to England because I was like, no, I don't want to leave. Do you think that was a pivotal moment in your life? Yeah, massively, massively. I think because that's when I I chose my destiny. A lot, a lot of people. Do you ever think about ski because their parents want them to ski? Do you ever think about the consequences of someone going. of someone's action that they put that leaflet there? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. How crazy? Yeah, you know, how, that, how that, crazy life is yeah. that like. If that person hadn't done that, the, yeah. the knock-on effect of your life. Like, we wouldn't be having this conversation now, probably. Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, you look at it in positive ways like that, and then yeah. I think about, you know, one of my crashes, and I'm like, if I hadn't have done this tiny thing. But everything happens for a reason. Yeah, it does. Everything. Ha- and, and I am more proud of every injury I have overcome than anything I ever won, because that's that's where I grew as a person. That's where I, I had to believe in myself. Mental you, fortitude. But when you win, when you win... Your ego is satisfied, and you know that you've achieved your goal. But that is it. Do you when do you, you find... when you have when you have failed? That is when you go. You know, I why why did this happen? How do I learn from this? Do you find sometimes when you win or you achieve your goals, you feel a bit vacant? Yeah, because it's, it's then like, the goal's done. That? That's why you're saying. Yeah, we we're just talking before, and you were saying, you know, that eighty percent of you achieving that goal, you then reset it. I think that's actually really good. It's like you're married, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. The day after your wedding. You're obviously really stoked, but you just put your whole energy into this wedding, and there's this void of it's, done, it's over. Huh? Yeah, and exactly, that's it's very good. Uh, that's why, in some respects, like, I don't understand why people go on the honeymoon the next day. I think you should spread that out. But like, I 100% agree, and it's one of those things. And the same thing for like doing physique competitions. I remember the first time I did a, a show, and I literally in my head I had like the date of I don't know, it was 11th of October, and I was just thinking about that constantly. Ingrained. And then when it's done, you're like, what do I do now? Yeah. Like, yeah, and just, that's that's why retired athletes have mental health issues I can't understand that because they have been defined you know on social media on everything I'm Shemi Ski I never had to say my surname because I've got this weird first name so I'd call up people and say I am Shemi the skier that's who I was so you know other athletes who don't have an understanding of what their passions are and what they want to go into really struggle when they retire like the mental health side you lose your definition you lose who you are you lose your daily goals you lose everything so there has to be more support in that realm I 100% agree with that. And I think you can see it, like, prompts up someone like Tyson Fury, for example, won world heavyweight oh, yeah. title boxing and they went yeah. completely off the rails because yeah, he's like, I've achieved everything I want, I've got yeah. all the money in the world, what do I do now? Yeah. I've just lost the plot. Dangerous, yeah. yeah. It's the plot of like trying to commit suicide. Like I know, it's brutal. But from the outside, you think that person has everything yeah. they want, but yeah, because yeah. they're so wired in a, having a goal all the time and a purpose, when mm-hmm. they no longer have a purpose, they have... Yeah. No purpose for life, essentially, almost. So brutal. So brutal. So I think, I don't even, I, I kept saying about athletes retiring, it's, it's anyone who's achieved that goal mm. or got to where they want to get to. I, I've mentored a few very um, successful business people in 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 their own realm. And sitting there with them, I'm completely in awe of having they achieved, but they are they are so void of, of passion because they're where, at the where they've got too quickly and they don't know where they want to go, and they've sacrificed all their personal life. And you, like you said, you know, from the outside, everything is hunky dory. Is that actually a word anymore? Uh, I think Quite so. a good word, isn't can, it? Can be a word. We'll make like, it a word. But um, but it's not. It's not. It's really you know that people that we've got to be more honest with with what we're going through. I think that's one of the detriments of modern media now, social media, is the the highlight reels of Instagram and Facebook, of people's oh, perfect yeah. lives, and yeah. magazines, all these things that people don't see that. 
what necessarily goes on behind the scenes sometimes yeah. or what it takes to achieve some of these goals yeah, exactly. that other people aren't willing to do i mean that's massive in your world because transformations they take dedication yeah and it takes time people yeah. expect it's not just two photos yeah people expect overnight results and to just turn up put half ass into training yeah. and then half ass with their diet and just get world-class results like nothing in life comes for free whether it be financially yeah. or in terms of effort yeah. And like your intensity with what you do will determine your results, whether it's in business or fitness or skiing or whatever. Yeah, it might yeah, be. yeah. Um, so that's like I think where most people go wrong in terms of from a skiing perspective. Now, if we change the dynamics of the conversation a little bit, where like people who are now looking to try and maybe also come up to the winter now, we're in the winter December. People who are looking to try and get into skiing, get their kids into skiing. Is there any like advice for anyone from that? Because you're a very inspirational uh, figurehead in that. Well, from the field. UK, I think people forget that we have facilities in the UK to support that start, that learning mm. curve. I think it's really important to use those. Going on a ski holiday when none of you have been prepped for it at all, it's an expensive holiday and you won't get the most out no, of it because you'll spend the whole time on this blue slope and you'll buy a lift pass for the whole region and you'll be on this learner slope and you'll probably be taught how to walk in ski boots for the first like few hours. And this is all stuff in the UK that we can support. I mean, obviously we've got those mountains in Scotland that are looking really good already, but we've got dry slopes everywhere. You know, there'll be a dry slope a couple of hours away from wherever you live. We've got snow domes. Go there, invest in a What's the place you mentioned in Chelsea? Chelsea. Yeah, so this is right. a rotating conveyor belt, um, which you can ski on. And it's the, the, the learning you get from Massive, it's actually eight times as quickly as on snow because there's a mirror there and we are all visual mm. learners. So you're getting told what to do and your instructor's next to you so you can make that change straight away. So this is, some of them are more expensive than others, but I do think they're a worthwhile investment. Um, also, you might be going, I don't know if my kid's old enough. So, you know, go and book a lesson at one and see how they respond to it. Um, also, if you are trying to get your kids into it, make it nothing to do with skiing. So for Lockie, I remember the first few times we went skiing, I took, he's obsessed with dinosaurs. So we had all <laughs> these like plastic dinosaurs and he just kept chucking them off the chair. And so then obviously we had to ski down to each of them and collect them. And by the end, he's like, <laughs> I mean, his technique's not very good. So it doesn't matter that his arms aren't forward, yeah. but he's holding all these dinosaurs going again and again. He didn't realise he'd just done, you know, a kilometre of skiing. Yeah. So I think it's really important to... Make it fun. Yeah, to make it fun, um, to invest in their journey. You know, the first few times you ski with your kids, you should be there. Even if having a lesson, you should be there to celebrate those those monumental achievements that they're going through um, and tell them it's okay to crash. What's your earliest ski memory of interest? Um, I remember doing a race when when I was five. And I remember telling everyone since then that I won this race. So I've got this teddy bear upstairs with a medal on it. And I remember that race. You still have the teddy bear? Yeah, yeah. And um, for years I told in interviews that I won this race. And my dad about 10 years ago said, you've got to stop telling people that you were good <laughs> at five. You weren't. And I was like, well, I was because I got a medal. He said, yeah, everyone got a medal under the age of five who finished that race. You crushed your dreams. And I said, yeah, but I must be good. You know, he went on to go to the Olympics. And he said, no, I'll tell you what happened that run. Because you follow your parents down. And so I was following my mum down and my dad was videoing camera with these, you know, the massive ones back then. And I saw him at the corner of my eye. So I skied over and said, Daddy, give me a kiss. And he's like, no, you're on a race. Keep calling uh. your mum. So thankfully I never did that since, but I wasn't very fast. But I definitely remember that prize giving and going, I've achieved something. Well, I actually hadn't. But it's amazing how much of an influence that has on children, like a positive reinforcement. Oh, massively. And yeah. making things fun. Because like, even I remember my first, like, experiences when I was learning to ski in America I remember I can't remember what they called it like Magical Kingdom or something you ski through the yeah. woods and they had loads of yeah. cool stuff and I can still remember that now at 30 next yeah. week and it's like you want to go back don't you yeah, I, that's what I, probably part of the reason why but like 
that me for me would be a very surreal, like almost like a out of body. No, experience. don't because it'll let you down. It'll crush my dreams. You'll go back now, and, and and there'll be all these magical creatures will be like this big, and yeah. you remember them being your size. I find everything like that from your childhood. <laughs> when you go back, it's always so much smaller than you yeah, remember, yeah. Like distances and things. Um, in terms, of obviously, for people looking to get themselves into shape for skiing, obviously over this so winter, important. Um, one of the worst things I think that tends to happen to most people they don't tend to enjoy their like ski trips or holidays is they're not in shape when they go so after yeah. the first day they're pretty much broken yeah do you have like with your clients who you work with or like specific things that you look for people to do to try and get themselves ski fit essentially yeah I, I think what you're saying that people invest in that ski holiday mm. every year and they forget to invest in themselves physically before they go so like you said they, they ski the first day they go too hard then they're exhausted they probably go our prey they have to miss the next day my, my big top tip is you always have to be on the first lift so even if you've gone out dancing on tables make sure you're up for first lift because those are the times where people miss that lift they come out in the afternoon when the piece are crappy yeah. they're tired they're hungover they're dehydrated and that's when injuries happen and i think you know, you, you've got to understand the skill needed to turn these skis now. They're, they're really aggressive, these parabolic I think skis. You have to have respect as well because you can very easily hurt yourself yeah. if you're not. But you can attention. do stuff beforehand, you know, yeah. you build up your knee muscles, you, you you build up your core. A lot of people forget their core. They think sitting against the wall is still the best exercise um, and it's not relevant at all to skiing. Um, everything that you're withstanding from your skis when you have power is a lateral pressure. So you've got to have the core strength to hold together. And actually, most of the ACL, the issues happen is that you get a whip from a ski, you can't hold it, so it's your knee bends backwards. Um, so I just say you've got to give yourself at least three weeks. I, I don't think you can do as much as I would like in three weeks, but um, I think seven, eight weeks before you go, just to start doing a little bit every day. And, you know, nowadays it's not about going to the gym. No. You can do everything at home with these HIIT workouts, um, add in some plyometrics. Um, but as I said before, not just lower body. Make sure you connect all of that with the core. And I think it's really important. We say a lot of it's creating stability at the hip and unilateral strength, because obviously yeah. when you're skiing, a lot of it's going to be pushing off one yeah. leg. It's the majority yeah. of the force rather than... Yeah both legs together so if you've got some sort of imbalance that's not going yeah. to cause like I imagine with your injury you had an imbalance that was probably massively it's really hard to train that simulation you get when you're skiing when your legs are outside the body a lot of the sports we do are unilateral so I remember speaking to Steve Redgrave before he did the jump and you know he's, he's one of the best at doing this motion in the world for and after pressure I, I stood at the British Olympic ball in my stilettos and he was in this black tie and I said right stand in one line and I stood a metre to his right. I said, just put your hip towards me. Not your upper body and not your legs. He's like, well, how would that work? I'm like, I want you to get your hip out of alignment in your body. <laughs> like so like, that, a, like, yeah, skin, like right? a ski. And, and he had no, you know, this is one of the most successful athletes, incredibly understanding of his body awareness. And he couldn't do it because he trained. And that's quite often with, with a lot of the sports that people are good at. You know, biking is great, builds knee muscles, but you've got to be able to do some cutting, some sidesteps, things that get that body out of alignment so that you can handle that and and increase your performance. Because that is the, it's a weird motion to do it. I do all this band work with people where I use the bands to to kind of create the forces. Lateral, lateral forces yeah, yeah. yeah, so pulling from the side and then they have to push away from it so that you get that you get that spark yeah. that you would have if your skis are coming from the side back to the body. Um, and I think that's really, really important. What would be your top three exercises that you'd recommend for some of like beginner, intermediate, not probably like hardcore advanced stuff. Like you maybe know maybe what you used to do, but yeah. maybe for more um, stuff. So I would do some 
glute exercises. In the transition of the turn, you've got to have glute power in order to move forward. Um, so anything with that, um, obviously the quads are important, but I think, like I said, lateral lunges or clock lunges on a BOSU, yeah. so on an unstable surface, because skiing, the snow changes every metre down the mountain. You've got to be versatile of what your body can do on the ice and then on soft snow. So on um, on an imbalance or closing your eyes, you know, try and stimulate that connection with your feet it's to the ground. Connection. Yeah, and from your feet. You know, that, that's where the turn starts in skiing. People always go, right, I've got big muscles up here. And I'm like, well, how's your ankle flexibility? Because yeah, you need to push. You don't need calf muscles. That's pretty much the one muscle. Or I'm good for that. I'm good for, I'm good for calves. Yeah, yeah. you don't raised. need calves. In fact, big calves are really annoying because they don't fit in ski boots. But you've got to have ankle flexibility to push that shin forward. And that's actually what I don't have on my metal leg now. So I really have to work on that quite a lot with a physio. Um, but those two, and then core. I would do power core. So maybe grabbing a med ball and doing some side movements yep. here just to get the kind of lateral motion. motion. That, yeah, the lateral motion. And with the momentum of the ball having to control that, I think that's really important. Out of curiosity, so for example, I have very flat feet. So that's always something I suffered with skiing, which was absolutely yeah. in the arse with ski, which would always give me endless grief. So I've found, for example, my ankle flexion is always very poor. Have you had, dealt with that with many people you've coached in the past? Yes. Um, and I've been telling people forever to push on the front of their shins. Mm. And first of all, what's changed a lot in the ski industry is that you need soft boots. Yeah. We used to go harder and harder with the flex, and then it was harder for people to push the knees forward. And whether you want to carve or you want to stop, you need to have that forward flexion for control. So I think that's really important. When you're getting boots fitted and you're in a warm ski shop in the UK and they're saying, yeah, go for a 130 flex because you weigh this much. You've got to then go, actually, I'm going to Canada. It's going to be minus 20. I need something that I can flex. Flexion of your ankle with that ski boot is the most important. Out of curiosity, so like in terms of you mentioned as well, feeling through your feet. So something I'm a big advocate of in terms of weight training that I've uh, implemented in the last 12 months, which has helped a lot more with the proprioception through my feet. Yeah. Being very flat is really poor. Um, it's using Vibram shoes, like the five finger sort of soles, oh, yeah, you can feel yeah. through the, the like ground. Yeah. So that's something I've found personally yeah. has worked very well for me. It's helped me to increase the stability in my hips and my unit. So really good for you. So I, I had um I was born with banana shaped bones in my feet. Long story. My mum had them. They're good for being a swimmer. Terrible for skiers. So I had to have my bones broken and realigned in my feet. So my foot neuro um control was really bad so i had to do loads of plyo what's really good is going to the gym uh turning to swimming ball it's also quite fun um and getting those um oh gosh i'm having floaties yeah, yeah right and putting one under each foot and trying to pedal underneath your feet for okay. you it'd be great because if you're flat-footed you'll find it really easy to push down but the only way you can keep that without it popping up left right center like grip is to foot. bring it up so that was something I did loads. I actually live on the river and I used to do it in the river all the time. My neighbours must think I'm crazy. Crazy woman with the floaties out. Yeah, with the floaties popping up. Because when they go up, they're, you know, they're down, they're coming up with force, so they fly out the water. Um, but yeah, really, really important. Also, yantra mats. Okay, I've not heard of that. You've not heard of a yantra mat? Um, so they use for insomniacs. They're, okay. they're mats with kind of to stimulate like the nails from okay. the Indian philosophy and you lie on them on your back and it helps you relax. Um, but they're really good to stand on and they, I mean, they hurt a little bit, but it's not pain. It's just... Provides feedback for yeah, your muscles. Yeah, so that's really good. Do lunges on, I think. That's an issue. I have to check that one out. Yeah. Again, I think. Um, so obviously we discussed obviously fitness and skiing and getting shaped. Now obviously you've had uh, a couple of kids as well mm -hmm. and you've got, got yourself back into great shape and we obviously discussed your transformation uh, earlier on. So obviously that in itself, like, Alongside your skiing career is obviously very inspiring for a lot of women. What what um, 
triggered you to want to get back into shape? Was there anything in particular? Was there anything you found difficult in that process? Um, I was just getting really, really insecure about myself. And after my first baby, you, you are completely in awe of what your body's done. I, I have never felt more proud of my body, even when I had a six pack and I was an athlete, than when I was pregnant. That was the most amazing thing. When when that baby starts to kick, it's you, you actually, for the first time, give your body over something else. And it's a bigger purpose than looking in the mirror and being proud of what you're doing. It's doing the most amazing thing and you feel it from the inside. So that was something that I loved. I loved being pregnant. I had really fortunate to have quite easy pregnancies and being able to ski during the pregnancy and everything. Um, and after my first, I knew there was going to be a second. So I just made peace with that and I did whatever. I was really busy with work. So I just did whatever. And then after Cooper last year, both both boys were born in January. Um, so after both pregnant. Um, labors I went back to work within two and a half weeks which I know is crazy for people to understand but my work cycle is quite short I only work in the winter so they weren't perfectly planned kids um so we went back as a family when with two and a half week old kids and with Cooper this year I had so much work on and you're not allowed that much coffee when you're breastfeeding so you're only allowed 180 milligrams so two a day so I was trying to get energy from other sources and I was reaching for sugar left right and center I was like, oh my God, I've got a script to was do. Was that subconsciously just happening? Or like no, I just, I felt energy from sugar. And and so I just ate and I, yeah, I think I got into a really bad habit of, I need this and then I will perform better at my job. I need this. I was up all night breastfeeding. I need this to, to stimulate me. Um, and so I just, I made peace with that. Last winter, I just ate what I wanted. And then it started... I started realizing how much more my body was hurting when I was skiing because of the extra weight I was carrying. And I also started for the first time ever to be really unconfident with that person I was looking back at. You know, I, I was the era growing up where I had this massive, massive glutes. Like I had a really big ass and it wasn't fashionable. You know, Kim Kardashian, this is way before that. <laughs> and I used Did she to- she copy you? Yeah, for sure. She <laughs> wanted that ski racer ass. <laughs> But I used to wear like jumpers and tie them around my waist all the time instead of being proud of it. And um, and then, you know, I, I as I got older and I realised actually everything that I did was earned. All these muscles were hard graft. I was really proud of it. Um, but when I when I looked in the mirror last this May, I, I was just like, who is this? You know, I was really I, I didn't like myself. And so it wasn't it wasn't for anyone else. It was for me about feeling confident about who I was before before I started doing any transformation and and that's when I was called up Sarah and my buddy we went to three Olympics together um and never met each other she lives like literally 200 meters away it's so weird how that happens so weird and then we worked for BBC and she said I helped her loads so in her head I think she thought that she owed me something and I asked for her support on it and it was just great because even though I'd spent 20 years being a professional athlete and I had all this knowledge I just needed someone to tell me what to do. Someone in your corner almost. Yeah. 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 I just needed someone to say, and, and you know, I was so addicted to sugar that the first nine days of taking all of that away, I was, I was a witch and I was messaging her going, come on, what's a cheat food that's okay. She's like, no, there isn't. You're going to get through this by day 10. You'll be fine. And I was like, no, come on, come on. What about that really dark chocolate? She's like, no, nothing. So, so I needed to have her in my corner. I needed her to talk to me like I knew what I was talking about as well. Like she talked to me like a professional athlete and that really inspired me again. Um, and it was so fun to see how my body was able to adapt. And I haven't been under 70 kilos since I was a teenager. And at the end of the three months, you know, I was, I'd lost 15 kilograms and I was 69 kilos again. Did you find the, the progression, you start seeing progression that in itself made everything worthwhile? It was like oh, yeah. Complete. Yeah. 
clicks into place. But, but I'm an obsessive person. Yeah. No, no, I'm an obsessive person. So I'm like, right, I know I've got to the end, but I want to keep going. Mm. So that and that's what I need to be careful with now because I don't want to push it too far. I want to be healthy. I don't want it to affect my life. Yeah. And, and what she did was she made it so accessible to make these habit changes, yeah. like exactly what you do, Charlie. So it's it's part of my life now. You know, the decisions I make when I go and order food, yeah, I know when I'm eating naughty food. And that's fine. But you, you that's consciously fine. have yes. control of that. And, yes. you're, and that's the big thing that I say to everyone is that you have to be aware and control of that's yeah. control of your life. Yeah. You can understand what you're eating, but it's your conscious yeah. decision. If I want to have that, yeah. I understand the consequences of that. Not this necessarily. And you don't want to be thing. a killjoy. You no, want to no. go, you know what, I'm gonna go out and have some beers, but then possibly I'm gonna take the calories, I'm gonna eat less during the day. And I just think it's about that knowledge of you know, you, you can be everything, but you've got to make the decisions yourself. 100%. In terms of, obviously, one of the words you mentioned there was obsessed, and obviously in terms of like being as successful as you were in terms of ski racing and your career now, obviously, in the media, working on Ski Sunday. Like, obsessed is a word that gets thrown around a lot. Like, I've had people say that to me before, but would you agree sometimes you have to be a little bit obsessed oh, yeah. to achieve anything? Because oh, my God, you need to be obsessed. You, have to be you need than to be else. selfish. You need to put yourself first. I mean, this isn't, I can't do any of this now that I have kids. And actually, you know, I hate telling people I have a live-in nanny, even though she is the best thing that we brought to our family, because it makes me feel guilty. As a mum, I feel guilty that I have a nanny, but I also work full-time. But she gave me the confidence to take an hour for me every day about what I needed um, and going to the gym. And, and it's changed my happiness with my kids you know I I enjoy every moment with them because I know that I'm getting that moment of myself and there's this crazy mother guilt out there you know when I went back to work after two and a half weeks people socially with everyone else being able to see said you should be at home cuddling your kid and I'm like hey listen I am with with him all night I'm giving him love all night I'm breastfeeding I'm giving him everything I can but I need to work if I don't work then we can't live this life and then I will be miserable. So I will be a worse mum. And it takes so much confidence to speak back to those people because everyone, when you're pregnant and you become a parent, everyone has a say. I remember guys coming up to me in the gym telling me that I shouldn't be lifting weights. And one guy, and, and I would let it get to me and I'd put those weights down and walk away. And once I was like, you know what? I'm going to go and talk to him. So I went over and I said, thanks for your advice. Um, are you a PT? Are you trained? And he's like, no. I said, are you a dad? He's like, no. But I know you shouldn't be doing that. Mike, see, that, oh. that really, like, crushes my soul from the inside. And it's one of those things that, like, respectfully, that person's opinion isn't really valid because they're not coming from a point of experience. But, but that could also... But it could ruin the exactly, person they're speaking. It could have crushed the person. And people don't know that. And that's the knock-on con consequences that could have for that person oh, in life from them having, making that one passing comment. They don't necessarily understand the consequences yeah. of that. But when I put up this social media that I was doing this transformation, I put up this video of me on the beach doing plyometrics in a bikini, right? There's a reason why people don't do plyometrics in a bikini because everything shakes, everything wobbles, I've just had a baby. You know, I knew it didn't look good and it took a lot of confidence for me to share it to try and inspire other people. And one guy wrote to me and he said, Chubby Alcott. And I was just like, ah. Screenshotted it, sent it out to my followers and everyone else tapped me and he took his, you know, he took his account down. But it just... It takes confidence. Like I could have gone there and gone, you know what, he's right. He's right. And I won't show people this this work that I'm putting in. I'll just show them the aftermath. And again, it's someone's negativity, how that could stop you inspiring other people. And that, for me, like, I get people like that chiming all the time. Like, I'm at the point now with most things that I don't really care and it just makes me laugh and I use it as a... Uh, like, more Catalyst. negative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. more fuel for the fire yeah. to, to push you on. But yeah. it's... Um, 
a sad reality that we live in where people want to try and pull other people down to their level in a lot of respects. So brutal, so brutal. And But the feedback I got from other mums going, you know, I've been so scared to start the journey, thinking about me and my health again, and you putting out there, I'm going to go and do some of that later, was was amazing. And that's and that's what you have to think, right, that's who I'm helping. These naysayers. Yeah, screw me. And that's the thing, like, the knock-on consequence of that, if you, say, motivate, inspire... 10 people, those 10 people go and spy on another 20 exactly, people and boom. that spider works out. Forward, yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's ultimately what I try to do with what, with my life and you, you yourself, yeah. the way you carry yourself. So that in itself is true. But people inspiring. think you're invincible. They think no. that you wear this kind of coat of armour and nothing they say. And, you know, we're both out there, self-employed, trying to do our best, but also trying to give back. Yes, we're making a business of giving back. But, you know, people need to start taking care of themselves mm. and they need help to do that. No, I'm so agree with that. To wrap things up then, Shane, what's um, the future hold for you? Obviously, Ski Sunday at the moment, got your own business, travelling a lot. I know. Where, where's, where, oh. What's next? Dance your nice again? No. Um, you know what? I just, I kind of go with the flow. I think um, I put positive messages out there and the world has been really kind to me and, and played those back to me. And I will just keep doing that. I, I want to make happy boys. I want my sons to grow up happy. I know that by following my passions, it's making them happier. And so we'll just have to see. I, I I love everything that I'm doing. I love wearing different hats. You know, sometimes I like grafting with 10, you know, eight-year-olds trying to help them to enjoy the passion of the slopes. And then other days I'm going to a red carpet event, having hair and makeup. I, it's amazing to be able to be all those different people. Comedian almost. Yeah. And um, and I that's what I want. I couldn't do a nine-to-five. I used to want to. When I retired, I was like, I just want a nine-to-five so that I can have weekends to me. But now... Life would be boring. It would be boring. I wouldn't actually mind being bored for a couple of days. I sometimes think that, but I think you get. But I, you can tell your personality is the same as mine. Type A. Within about an hour, you'd be like, I'm going to do something. Yeah. You'd be out, I, I you'd can't be out the river the paddling with your, yeah, your water feet. Exactly. Um, so, if anyone doesn't know you already, uh, where's how's the best way to get in touch with you or follow any of your social medias or your current businesses? Yeah. So, Shemi Ski, um, all over social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I'm Shemi Alcott and an athlete page on Facebook, but I don't go on Facebook as regularly anymore. <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, get in touch. If I can help anyone in any way, obviously Charlie's all about transformation. There's only mums out there who need some kind of support and getting back into their journey about thinking about themselves. I will hopefully give you that confidence because I think that's one thing I'm really passionate about um, because it's really hard to make time for yourselves when you've got kids and it only takes 10, 15 minutes and all you have to do is start that ball rolling and then you realise, yeah, it's snowballs. It's getting fun. Yeah. Exactly, well done. I didn't even mean that. Downhill all the way. Um, So we'll wrap that up there. Thank you so much for the podcast video interview. An absolute pleasure. So thank you so much. No worries. Thank you for coming.